0: So, December 1st, the official start of Christmas season, despite what Kmart and Target and Meijer and family wanting to put up Christmas trees early would tell you. It's December 1st for me, it's the, the start of the Christmas season. Um, who is excited for Christmas this year? Yep, cool, got a couple of excited ones. I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit of a Christmas cynic, to be honest. It's a, um, you know, it's awesome being able to catch up with friends and family, uh, it's awesome having a bit of a time to reflect on the meaning of Christmas and that Christ uh, came to earth as a, as a little baby boy. Um, but all of the commercialism, once it starts to get to all the commercialism of, oh, look at my bank account going down because everyone's expecting presents, and oh, look at all the new decorations that are just slightly different that we have to buy this year. <laughs> all that. Christmas time can be a little bit tiring. Um, but I thought what we could do, so I'm on uh, the sermon-y stuff for this month, a Christmas month, and I thought what we could do is just have a look at for, the, for all of December for this sermon, the little sermonette thing I'll do next week and. Uh, whatever the, I haven't actually been to an out-circle thing, so I don't know how that looks, but we're going to have an awesome, uh, um, sorry, full-circle-y thing uh, later on in the month. I thought that we could just have a look at some little Christmas stories and just see what we can pull out of some of the Christmas stories. Um, and today we're going to have a bit of a chat about timing and what we can learn about timing from the Christmas story. you all on board with that. Don't really have a choice. So timing, timing is important we all know timing is important right unless you've got a brand spanking new Tesla electric car your car engine's got a thing called a timing belt or in the case of the mighty Hilux a timing chain much more robust doesn't need to be replaced Um, and the idea of this timing belt is it keeps the engine running really smoothly it's opening and closing all the little valves as the pistons doing the whole force cycle stage thing I I've, I remember what the four-stage cycle is, but it's a bit like the way that I remember it, it's probably not that great to express in church. There is a the proper term for the four stages, <laughs> but uh, there are some colloquial versions of that as well. Anyway, timing belt, super important in a car engine. If your timing belt is not working properly, or if it's working properly, the engine's going to be running really, really well. If it's not working properly, you're probably going to have a rapid, rapid, unplanned disassembly of the, uh, the engine, which is what we call a plane crash a rapid unplanned disassembly of the aircraft if you crash your car. It means your engine's going to blow up if your timing belt uh, fails. At work, we deal with timing all the time, timing deadlines, uh, making sure projects come in on time, doing the right thing. Uh, daily reports have to be done so that the higher-ups know what's going on. They can make good decisions, that kind of stuff. When I'm programming, thinking about timing all the time. I, if I'm making a program, I want uh, everything to be done at a certain time in a logical order. I want it to be repetitive. I want it to be... Procedural, I want it to be um, redoable so that it happens the same way every single time. Um, In programming, we have this, we can get into this thing called asynchronous or parallel programming, which is where you're trying to do a bazillion things at once. You're trying to download something and then manipulate it and do all this different stuff at once. You go try and synchronize it all, and it's an absolute nightmare because trying to, yeah, Steve's like nodding his head. it's a nightmare because you've got all these things going on and they're just not timed right. And you can't figure out what's doing what. There's bits of the program that are requiring another bit of the program to have finished before it can start. and It's a nightmare. Uh, recently, Knowles has been learning all about timing with her veggie garden and the, uh, the fruit and veggies that she has been growing there. If you plant, you plant at the right time, it'll take root and it'll produce really good fruit. There's probably a whole sermon series on that we could go into. Uh, but if you don't plant it at the right time, it's going to wither and die, or it's not going to produce very well at all. Knowles um, is having a pretty average day, uh, some time ago now, and uh, I know that she's really getting into veggies and gardening and all that kind of stuff, so instead of buying some flowers, I thought that I'd buy her some seedlings and some dirt. Uh, and she can plant them herself, and it'd be a cool little surprise when these flowers came up. I thought I was being all... Um, all, I don't know, what's the word, romantic, I guess, or sweet, or, or whatever you want to call it, and um, being the green thumb that she is, she could recognise them from the seedling so she knew exactly what the plant was, which was good, because as the plant grew, uh, it started growing and growing, and then we had that heat wave, and the flowers died, and then never even came up, so didn't have the best timing on that one. Um, so timing is important let's see what we can learn about timing from the Christmas story I've got a whole lot of different verses we're going to look at so you can follow along if you'd like otherwise I can give you the um, the verses afterwards on Facebook or send them out to you if you want to have a look at them a little bit more but in Galatians 4, 4 4-7 we get a really brief summary of the Christmas story pretty much like in a couple of sentences in Galatians 4, 4 4-7 says but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive, receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of His son into our hearts crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So that's pretty much like the whole of Jesus' life, some summarized in a couple of sentences. Jesus came to save us so that we're adopted and can live with God in heaven and the new earth for, for forever, for eternity. So the first thing I want to look at, we're going to have four points. I'm a very structured guy, so I have my point sermons. The first point, God has a timetable for everything that happens. Right at the very start of that Galatians verse, but when the fullness of time had come, this was... Part of God's timetable. This was a thing that was going to happen and it was time for this to happen and it happened at that time. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Um, And throughout the, the Bible, we see examples of the events in God's timetable. In Mark... 1, 14 to 15, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew twenty six seventeen. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them. And again, in Acts. um, So when they had come together, Acts 1, 6 to 7, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So God, in his own authority, has a specific time for things to happen in the world. Um, And from Ecclesiastes, we see that every matter under heaven has a proper time. So God had a specific time planned for Jesus to enter the world. Uh, And and again, it's alluded to even in that first sentence of the Galatians verse, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So, Christmas happened at just the right time. What made it the right time? Why two thousand years ago hmm, yep, yep yeah, 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 yeah. when I was doing the research for this and stuff, and I came across that, and I think that's a really good a really good reason for it um. So we do like, okay, so 2,000 years ago, have all those kind of things. Why not 4,000 years ago, right? So God had been promising a savior for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why not just go like, oh, this guy's going to come and here he is. Uh, There are hundreds of years between the last prophecies of the savior coming and when Jesus actually ended up coming. Um, We're currently in an age now where you can be literally anywhere on the planet in a day if you want to be. Uh, you can chat to anyone instantly on the planet if they've got a sat phone. Maybe today would have been, well, this, this day and age would have been a, a good time for Jesus to come and certainly get the message out. But yes, we can make heaps of really good guesses as to why it was, when it was. Um, but ultimately, we don't know for sure. We just just don't have an answer, which conveniently segues into my second point, um, Point one, God has a timetable for everything. And point two, God does not usually give us the full details of that plan, that timetable. <laughs> see where I was going with that. Right at the beginning of the Christmas story, uh, in Luke, we see that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and reassures her that nothing is wrong because Mary's a bit freaked out that this angel guy, Gabriel, is coming to speak to her. Uh, and he says this. This is what Gabriel says in Luke 1:31." And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his kingdom will be no, and, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Right. So I've got a little bit of information there, but if, ladies, Gabriel had just come to you and said that to you, Do you feel like that's enough detail for you to go, Huh? I'm on board with this, righto, makes sense? Probably not. Um, At this point, if I were Mary, I'd probably have a few questions. Like, um, you know, so you say this guy is going to be king of a kingdom that's going to last forever. Uh, Not entirely sure how to raise that kind of kid. Um, Also, I live in Nazareth, not probably the best place to be Um, raising a kid that is going to have this kind of grandeur. Secondly, I'm about to be married, and I haven't consummated that marriage yet. So how exactly am I supposed to be having this son? A couple of good questions there. And in fact, in Luke, she even asks, like, how is this actually going to work? And Gabriel answers her, but in my opinion, this actually just creates more, probably, uh, questions that I would want to have answered. So... Mary goes, how's this going to happen? Gabriel goes, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, uh, will, be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Okay, I get that that's, you know, you're an angel. I'll give you a bit of uh, credence there, but um, still a bit unsure. Also, your rel- relative Elizabeth, who has been barren her entire life, is about to have a kid okay, thanks, bye, and just, it goes off. So, all right, there's, there's a bit of detail there, but uh, if, like, I'm, we'll see in a sec that Mary is very, very faithful and, uh, and trusting of the Lord. I don't think I would be that trusting with that amount of information. I feel like I'd probably want to know a bit more of what uh, God's plan was and how exactly he was going to pull this off. So God does not usually give us all the details about his timetable or his plan, and Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus, recognized this also. In Ecclesiastes 3:11, he writes, "He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end." So let's unpack that just a tiny little bit. So Solomon observed that God has made everything beautiful, Your Bible might have appropriate. God has made everything appropriate. The same word for beautiful is translated a couple of verses down uh, in in Ecclesiastes as proper. God has made everything proper, beautiful, appropriate in its time. That is, God in His providential plans has uh, and control has an appropriate time for every activity, right? So Solomon also observed that God has set eternity in the human heart, right? What do you think? What is that? What do you reckon? God has set eternity in the human heart. You can, Honestly, I'm probably the youngest dude here, so you wise guys, what are you thinking when God says he has set eternity in the in the hearts of man and the human heart? I think it's that in my study that people have a longing to desire, or a longing or a desire to know what the eternal significance um, of themselves and their deeds and their activities is. Like, what's... You know, what am I going to be doing for eternity? I want to know what this, this future is. How do, I, how do I get to where I'm supposed to be going? What is eternity going to look like? I think even people who aren't religious have a curiosity about what's going to happen for eternity, whether they think that it's just going to be nothing or something or they don't know or they don't care. Um, it's actually by design. God has set that in the human heart to be curious about our eternity. He said eternity in the human heart. And then finally, Solomon adds that people cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. That is, they cannot know the sovereign, eternal plan of God, all the intricacies of it. We get glimpses and we get little bits that he kind of tells us. And we're super curious about our eternity and how our lives are going to play out, how our future is going to play out. That's by design, but he doesn't tell us all the details. Um. And we might, so, okay, so we might get some of the details like Mary, but do you think Mary knew the significance of everything this baby boy Jesus was going to achieve? At that point that Gabriel had come and said, oh yeah, he's going to be king of kings, it's going to last forever, he's going to be the son of God. Right at that moment, she got some of the details. Do you think she had any idea of exactly what Jesus was going to do? No. I think we get that a lot in our lives too. We get little bits here and there. We, can, we just can never see the big picture, the full picture. So there are a lot of ways that humans try and predict the future, right? We've got tarot cards and star signs and palm readings and uh, we have more methodolo- methodological, historical ways of predicting the future. We'll see patterns in stuff that have happened before and we try and predict the future off that. The weatherman's always trying to predict the future. One of the projects that I'm working on at the moment is a little... Uh, it's like a tiny little computer called a Raspberry Pi that just sits on my home network and it trades shares and uh, cryptocurrency stuff for me. And what it does is it predicts, predicts the uh, like peaks and troughs and stuff and sees what they've looked like in the past to try and generate a bit of a model to predict the future so it knows when to sell stuff and when to, to buy stuff. So I'm trying to predict the future in, in, uh, in that sense. Um, being a, a nerd, there's this kind of idea that if you knew the... I think it might have been from a movie. It might not even be like a scientific thing. But if you knew the velocity and uh, or the energy and direction of every particle in the universe, you could actually predict the future. Um, and and to some extent, we do that already with mathematical modules like you know, throwing a tennis ball, right? So if I got a, yeah, this is all going back to like high school physics and stuff like that. You throw the tennis ball. You've got this amount of energy. It leaves the point here. Gravity's going down this way. This is the air resistance. That's where the ground is over there. When I throw the tennis ball. I can predict fairly accurately that it's going to land over there. Um, people want to try and apply that down to the molecular level so that if they um, know where every particle is going in the universe, they'd be able to just pretty much hit fast forward on the simulation, as it were, and predict the future. It's a... Neither here nor there, but it shows that we're very interested in our future. <laughs> so why can't we get all the details, right? So God has a plan. doesn't often always tell us all the details. There are a few possible reasons for this. I feel like it would be an ant trying to understand how to assemble a rocket, right? We just don't have the brain capacity to be able to, like I'm flat out trying to do two or three things at once, right, you know, we shouldn't be driving in our car while sending a text message because our cognitive capacity to do those two things to the best of their ability is not there and and you crash. So I don't think we've really got the capacity to understand the full brevity of um, stuff that God's got going on in his eternal plan. If we knew everything that God knew, we wouldn't actually need God anyway because we would be God. If we knew everything that God knew, probably minus the, the power of God, we wouldn't really have much of a need for God. Um, you know, you'd know, you probably be freaked out you know, on everything that was going to happen in the future. If you knew, I don't know, when you were going to get that pay rise or when you were going to cark it or all that kind of stuff, it would... We wouldn't really need a lot of faith or anything like that which brings me on to the the main thing is that it means that we're gonna have to trust God so by design we're very very curious about our futures by design God doesn't give us all the answers because we need to trust him all right you tracking with me so far I haven't said anything super heretical so point one God has a timetable for everything Uh, Point two, God does not usually give us all of the details of his timetable and his plan. And point three, God's timing is not always convenient for us. So God has a plan for our life. He has timing for our life. He works, we know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, even though at times it doesn't feel like it at all. Um... So all things will work together for good, but that doesn't mean it's going to be painless or easy. And I know you guys know this. It's good to have a reminder of these things every now and then, though. God's timing is not always convenient. Tying it back to our Christmas story, how do you think Mary and Joseph felt about God's timing? In the Christmas story, we see that Mary and Joseph were not married yet. Mary has not had sex yet, but she's going to have a baby. Who's going to believe that story, right? Hey, mum, pregnant, haven't had sex. It's going to be God. That's really not convenient timing for a couple who are about to get married. Um, it's not a convenient timing for Joseph. Joseph's like, oh, I'm going to punch out here. And luckily the, the angel Gabriel comes and says, no, no, just tell the truth. Hang in there. Not convenient though. Then in the middle of this announcement, in Luke chapter 2, 1 verse 6, we read, In those... In those days, the decree was sent forth uh, from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria and all to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph went up up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Right, so had this amazing announcement and now it's time for a census. This is one where you're not going to be counted where you are. You've got to go to where your hometown was. Who knows that if that happened in Australia tomorrow. By the way, we're having a census. Everyone back to your hometown. All the airports, all the roads, all the buses, everything complete and utter chaos. Not good timing. Um, and when she... so, So... Um, Mary is super pregnant and just before she's going to deliver this baby Joseph is like, hey babe, I've got to put you on a donkey and we're going to Bethlehem. Um, it's, it's not very convenient for Mary and Joseph at all. Uh, and when she gets to Bethlehem she has to deliver this baby. She's never had a baby before. She's not with her, out of her family. Or she, she, she doesn't have a family there. Um, and she's in a barn with animals. It's not really convenient timing. It's God's timing. This is God's plan because he said that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. It's his plan. It's his timing. It's not convenient. But God's plan was a bigger plan than Mary and Joseph had for their lives. It was a, a better plan. And we know that when things are tough and when they're hard, it's character building. Um, it's, it's a maturing process, um, but it's not always easy. But it's something that God wants us to go through because he cares about us he loves us he doesn't want to leave us where we are he wants to grow us James 1, 2-4 it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfected or perfect and complete lacking like nothing so God is always going to take us through these tough times it's just I know you've heard it all before this is just a this is a pretty much just a reminder sermon <laughs> Point one, God has a timetable for everything. Point two, God does not usually give us all the details of that timetable. Point three, God's timing is not always convenient for us. And this is like, so we started with, you know, God's got a timetable. Okay, Luke, that's good to know. Awesome. Um, it doesn't always give us the details. I know, that's a bit of a bummer, but I can work with that. It's not always convenient. Okay, it's Christmas. Where's the pep talk kind of? Where's the pep talk? You're kind of dragging us all down here. And so point four, hopefully this is the bit where we get a bit of encouragement. God is never in a hurry. and At the right time, God can make anything happen really, really quickly. All right. So we're not even able to comprehend how God sees time. Uh, he is outside of time. He is at all points in time. In 2 Peter 3.8 it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now, I do have this little illustration. I know that we're all feeling a little bit tired. This is a little bit of a complex illustration, but I thought it was really, really cool. Um, it was this guy who was explaining what someone who lives in the fourth dimension looks like. Now, to be, to be clear, I'm not saying that God is fourth dimensional, but this, is a, this whole thing, if your brain is about to start hurting, that is the point of this, because we're not actually able to comprehend how God sees time, and I'm going to try and illustrate that a little bit. So this is going to get a little bit, hopefully not too hard to follow, but hard enough that it hurts your brain. What do you reckon on this hot day when everyone's feeling a bit tired? Uh, you also know that this is a Luke sermon because we're going to go draw graphs on the whiteboard. Um, how many sermons have you been in I have graphs? I think not many. So we'll start with, this was a like cool, yeah, okay, we'll see how this goes. I'm not sure if this is going to fail or not, but we're going to try it anyway. Merry Christmas. So we're going to start with one-dimensional being, right? So you all remember from high school, a graph has two dimensions. It's got an x and a y, and we have like, that's our kind of standard graph. We have one dimension going across here. We've got one dimension going across here. So a one-dimensional graph looks something like that. It's only got one dimension, right? So say you're a little creature living in one dimension you're going to look maybe something like this. The only way that you can describe yourself is with a length. That's one dimension, right? And if we have another creature, might be a bit longer, lives over here, on that same one dimension, he can only be described by a length as well. So we're three-dimensional creatures, and I'm writing on a two-dimensional whiteboard, so we can see these creatures fairly well. But if I shrink down, and imagine that this little creature has an eye right here, And he's looking at old mate in this one-dimensional world. What does he see? From, From this creature's perspective, what does he see? He sees a point, an infinitely small point. The reality of these two is there's a bit more to them, but in this dimension, they can only see this one little point. And in fact, if you want to see how long these people are, or these little creatures are, you need a second dimension to get on top of them. So we've got our second dimension, you're tracking with me here, not hurting the brains too much. So we now have our second dimension creature. You know, the square is a two-dimensional shape, right? And when this square, say so he's got like a little eye, down here, and he's looking at these two creatures, Well, now this second-dimensionary creature, he can actually see a fair bit more of what these little one-dimensional creatures look like. You can see from his perspective, they're just pretty much going to look like a line, exactly how they are, right? But say we have now a second-dimensional creature, and he's looking at the other square. So he's got a little, little eye right here, and he's looking at this guy. We know there's a fair bit of detail. In fact, this guy could even be, you know, squares are boring. This guy is like, he's still a two-dimensional, two-dimensional creature. From this guy's perspective, all he's gonna see is a line about the size of that blob. Because if I'm down here, two-dimensional, looking at the guy, there's no information coming out this way. It's just gonna look like a line. So in actual fact, see in its entirety a two-dimensional creature, you need a third dimension. You need another dimension that comes out of the whiteboard this way. And then if you draw yourself a little 3D blob kind of over here, he can see fully the little 2D blob over here. And he can see the contours of it. He can see all the detail. And this is where I can't show you, and this is the bit that hurts your brain. How do you see the entirety of a 3D creature? you need a fourth dimension. (laughs) We can't even comprehend what that... I can't draw that. I can't show you what that looks like. We can't even really imagine what that looks like. There's no way I could describe to you what a 3D creature looks like from a 4D perspective. Now, I'm not saying that God's 4D. That's all philosophical. It's not necessarily in the Bible. But What I am trying to illustrate um, is that God sees things in a way that we don't see because he is outside of time. He is at all places in time. He kind of, he's the, in a different dimension completely that can see things in a way that we just physically cannot. Sorry enough that it was actually helpful or anything like that. Is he kind of tracking along with what I'm getting with there? Anyway, there's your little, your little lesson. All that to say, and now we're just talking about spatial dimensions here, not like time dimensions or anything like that. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. We just cannot even comprehend, similarly to the way that we cannot even comprehend how a fourth dimension works, we can't comprehend how he sees things. So by his very nature, being outside of time, he has all of the data, all of the information to make all of the best decisions for us. He sees everything. He loves us. He knows everything. He is at all places in time. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. We can only see our lives in the context of right now, maybe our history, maybe a tiny bit into the future if you want to try and predict it, but realistically, like a meteor could, a meteor could hit in two seconds and you know, our thoughts of what might happen in five minutes are completely thrown out of whack. We can't see the future. God can um, yeah, we don't even know what will happen this, when we walk out of this building, but God does. And because God is in all places at all times and he knows everything, God's timing is always perfect. Because he knows exactly when to do stuff. And oftentimes our timing is imperfect. Right? So we we can all, I'm sure you've probably got an example popping into your head about, oh, it'd be really cool to have a bit more money right now. God, God's like, well, it's not the perfect time for you to be, Having money right now, I know, because I know what you would do with it and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure, yeah, there's heaps of of examples. I don't know how we're going off time, but we'll keep going through. So God is never in a hurry. Uh, He is never early. He's never late. Sounds like a wizard, I know. He does everything precisely when he means to. Uh, And when he means to, he can do anything he wants very, very quickly, right? So God can move mountains in an instant. He can speak, let there be light, and reality has no choice but to obey. He calms the storm. He is is mighty and powerful, and that means that at the right time, God will strengthen you. Nothing is going to stop that. When you need it, he's going to strengthen you. At the right time, God's going to comfort you. Nothing is going to stop that. Nothing can stop that. At the right time, God will direct you. At the right time, God will give you the words to say. At the right time, God will provide for you. At the right time, God will wipe away every tear. And and then, like, I'm only putting these examples in because these are just things that, like, I I struggle with. I was was very angry with God for letting Heidi, my, my work colleague's daughter, die after I'd been praying for her. And telling Ben, mate, my church is praying for you. I'm believing that God is going to save your daughter. and She didn't, didn't survive. And I was teary. I was very upset. I was very angry. It's probably still a little bit of a work in progress if you, can't, if you can't already tell. But we've got to trust that at the right time, God said that he will wipe away every tear. It's not time yet. But there is a right time. It is coming, and nothing is going to stop it. He's going to do it. So this is why we need to have faith in him. This is why we need to trust him. Because he's all-powerful. He knows everything. And he loves us. If he was all-powerful and he knew everything, it might be a bit dubious as to whether we should follow him or not. But he loves us. He has the best intentions for us. He works all things together for good, the details of which we don't really get, but the eternal significance, we know where it's ending up. So tying back into our Christmas story, 2,000 years ago, just as he had planned, with very little detail for those involved, at a very inconvenient time, God said, now is the right time to save the world. And nothing was going to stop that little Baby boy Jesus from coming into the world. The Lamb of God. The Son of the Most High. The Lion of Judah. Light of the world. Our great high priest. The Prince of Peace. The King of Kings. The great I Am. Emmanuel. God with us. It was the right time. and Although it wasn't easy, nothing was going to stop him coming for us. And that's what we're celebrating in a few weeks. That our Savior, Jesus Christ, came for us. So there are just a few things about God's timing that I think we can learn from the Christmas, Christmas story. God has a timetable, doesn't usually give us all the details. It's not always convenient, but when it is the right time, God's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. So that really brings us to the end of the a little sermon kind of thing. I'm on the next week's sermon, probably a bit shorter than this one. Probably be a little sermonette rather than a full-blown sermon. Then we've got the out-circle kind of stuff, which Christmas time is awesome. We're going to be catching up with friends and family, whether it's that weekend or just in this this month in general. It's an awesome time to be catching up with friends and family, um, and as a little bit of an application, because... Everyone wants us to, and it's a good idea for all these little sermonettes to be kind of looking forward to that weekend that we do have set aside to um, go out into the world and be part of the world, specifically putting that side of, uh, that time aside. Maybe you have been putting off talking to Jesus with your family and friends. I know I have. It's not, um, I don't know, like Tim says before, I think it's a lot more It's a lot better when it comes up organically, but maybe we can be praying that it does come up organically and expecting that it is going to come up organically. Um, It's the Christmas season, and it's what Jesus is all about. Uh, It's it's what the season is all about. The season is all about Jesus coming. Um, God has a plan, a timetable to save the world, which we get to be a part of. We don't get to know the finer details of when Jesus is coming back, and it might be a bit inconvenient for us to bring that up with our family and friends this Christmas. But at the right time, God's going to give you the courage. At the right time, he's going to give you the words to say and the boldness and the strength. So this holiday, looking forward to our out circle in particular, I'd encourage you to lean into that and the things that we can learn about God's timing from the Christmas story. What do you think about that? Awesome. Well... We move to communion. Father God, I thank you for I thank you for coming, Lord. I thank you uh, for this time. this Christmas time. I just pray that you would soften the hearts of people like me that just get really cynical about Christmas because we just think about all the wrong things and we see all the wrong things. We forget that the whole reason. Um, that we can celebrate Christmas is because you came for us. It was the right time 2,000 years ago for you to come, for you to save us, that there is going to be a right time for you to come back and that there is nothing that can stand in the the way of that. You have said that you're going to do it and you will do it. As we take our communion, the bread, and the juice that represents the cost of our salvation, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, to pay for our sins. Lord, would you would you refocus us on you? Would you refocus us on the work that you have done, the gift that you have given us, the, the true gift of yourself this Christmas? Would you help us to trust you more? Trust that you know what's best for us. Trust your timing, not our timing. In your great name I pray. Amen.